0: Uh, Let us now turn to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to focus on verses 16 and 17, but I'll read from verse 12, Mm. I love that phrase, the elect of God, there uh, it's speaking directly to us, and so that's in verse 12, so I'll start reading in verse 12 down through verse uh, 17, and uh, we will then turn to the text that we're Going to study today that, there. So verse 12, hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May the Lord bless uh, this understanding, this text, and our both our understanding and our ability to do it in days and days to come. when well, we come upon a, a phrase or a, a, a passage of scripture where it, it contains a phrase, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that is very important to us in terms of singing the psalms and very important to us in, in the sense of a reformed idea about worship and uh, limiting ourselves in worship to singing the songs that God has provided In the Psalter. Now, this is a little bit odd because this this section is not a section specifically on worship, you know. So, in other words, it's a it's a passage that talks about the Psalms, but it's not exhorting you. It's not saying when you go to worship, worship only using the Psalms. Uh, So, it is not a portion that is specifically dealing with worship. When you when you develop doctrines or teachings. You ought to make sure that that you're, that you're that you're based upon. You're basing your beliefs or your your ideas on the more specific areas. So, like, if you want to, if you want to develop a, your understanding of the doctrine of hell, you don't base that on one passing reference to the doctrine of judgment where hell is mentioned. You go to a passage where. Somebody like Jesus is talking more specifically about it, more elaborately about it, so that you have a fuller treatment of that idea in the text. So I warn you about that as we come to this, because I don't want to be found guilty of that. Not only that, but uh, this text is used when it comes to the debate over worship and exclusively singing psalms. This text is used... And thought to be a great argument against exclusive psalm singing. And so, if you've ever heard this verse, it's usually raised by those who would like to sing the, what we call hymns, modern hymns today, because they see, see, this shows, this proves that we're not supposed to just sing the psalms. It says, it says, uh, uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, does that, does this not prove that we should be using hymn books as well as psalm books, and uh, does it not prove us the spiritual songs? There are other songs in the scriptures other than the psalms. Does this not prove then that that we can sing any song, any song in the scriptures, along with our hymns and our psalms? Uh, is this not an argument for that? So this this verse is very um, key. It comes up again and again and again, and, it, and you may be challenged by it too in your, in your life as you represent the church in which you um, inhabit. So uh, I thought it was important when we passed through this area that we would give a special attention to this, this verse and be better armed and better understanding of it so that we uh, we ourselves were armed with uh, the best possible information about this. Uh, these these three terms: psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do today. And um, I pray that uh, that those who listen from afar that they might be edified too, and that they might be challenged to some degree by what is uh, said here. Now, first of all, first point of the sermon is to look at the background to this passage. We see, I, I already said that it wasn't specifically a passage on worship. If we're to categorize it and say, well, what is it a passage on? From the sermons lately, I hope you would say, well, this is a passage on sanctification. It's a, it's a passage on how do we grow in Christ. And it began back at at verse 1 in chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, this has to do with the idea of salvation. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ In God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, the parts of your personality, the parts of your body, which are on earth, which would lead you away from Christ, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So if it's coming upon the sons of disobedience, why should you incur it in your own life? The Lord is saying, be ye sanctified, be ye holy, be ye perfect, you see. So this is a passage on sanctification. But now you yourselves, verse eight. But now you yourselves are put off, are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you will have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. We've had a tremendous illustration of the the negative side of these things, and what's what's gone on in our nation, and how really important people who have jobs in the media. That is, their job is to convey truth about the world and about the events of the world. And yet they have they have turned into virtual demons in terms of conveying error rather than truth, lies rather than uh, that which is notable and uh, conforms with the facts of life. So Christ has a different way than the ways of the world. His is the way of light. We've seen, we see all around us. Until the second coming, we will see these, these uh, uh, avalanches sometimes of untruth and lies and contemptible uh, untruth and prevarication. But it's a, there's a different way for us. So this passage has to do with sanctification. And as we draw near to that which we read today, verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. See, all of this is sanctification language. It's all about being made right, maturing in Christ, making an effort to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we've, we've touched on these verses in the previous two weeks and seen how important they were and just as the gospel is important just as coming to faith is important so is the life of sanctification and uh, as as reformed people who pay close attention to the gospel and its clarity its definition its necessity we we should be the last people of all the world to forget sanctification and indeed one of the joys that I've had, one of the things that drew me to Calvinism originally was that I looked at the different groups of evangelicalism. I saw that to my mind, uh, to my perception, as I looked at the Christian world, I saw in the ranks of Calvinism the greatest energy, the greatest energy to be more like our Lord Jesus Christ, to put on Christ, to put on the new man, to put off these things which drag us down. And I saw in people that I met in the Reform faith, I saw a greater love and affection for me as a human being. And I was drawn to it. There are other, other pastors in my past and, uh, who, who took me under wing and who were, whenever I asked questions of them, they were so ready to help me and to, to cultivate in me a better understanding of the Bible and a more, or more balanced view of the Scriptures. And I love that. I, I, found, I found in the rest of evangelicalism, and especially outside of evangelicalism, I found a, a greater desire to mainly build one's own kingdom, to build up one's own popularity, be, to be a kind of powerful power broker among over groups of people. And so I, I, by the sanctification of other men, I was drawn to the reformed faith. And I would, I would gladly debate that with anybody today. The, the, I mean, you see, you see godly people in all different walks of life. But if you, if you would grade generally, you know, I see the greatest efforts, the greatest humility, the greatest aspiration after Jesus in the ranks of the Reformed faith. And to me, that's a proof of the Holy Spirit's presence in the Reformed church. So I have no questions about that and no, uh, no problem with seeing things that way. <clears throat> and so we come then to uh, the second point of the message, which, uh, we, which is also introductory to some case, to the, the, the idea that we're getting to today, verse 16. But it, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now this is a kind of a culmination of sanctification. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why does does the Lord um, reveal it this way? First of all, this teaches, this is talking about scripture. It's talking about the word of God. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. But it it calls this word of God the word of Christ. Why does it do that? Because Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the author of, of all Scripture. And that's why I bring it out in the message at this point. The Bible is called the Word of Christ. You're not going to go far wrong if if you are arguing with somebody and you say, this is a Pauline epistle. You're not going to go far wrong if you say to them, Christ said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Because it is the word of Christ, because it says it's the word of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that anything that is truly scripture, uh, um, for Second Timothy three sixteen, anything that is truly scripture is the word of Christ. How does that happen? Well, what do they mean by that? Well, we see in John one where our Lord Jesus Christ is the instrument, the divine instrumentality by which all things come to pass. We see that when, when Genesis 1 says that God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. We see, and as that's interpreted by John 1, we see that what is meant there is that uh, the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, was viable and active and present in the creation. And there is nothing that was made that was not made through him if we look at the different tools or instruments that we have in our lives that help us, cars, airplanes, hammers, and screwdrivers and these kinds of things, our Lord Jesus Christ is the divine instrumentality. He's lovely in his instrumentality. Uh, His instrumentality is the instrumentality uh, through whom everything or through, through which everything came to pass. And it's lovely to think of Christ in that light. Centuries, millennia before he appeared in the flesh. He was active as the divine son at the right hand of God the Father. He is God's action. We could speak of him somewhat crassly as God's action hero. The kids have all these toys that are Action heroes, and they're like Superman and Batman and these kinds of things like that. Well, there's only one uh, divine, a par- part of the divine God, uh, which is um, which is designed to interface with the creation first by bringing it to pass, and then uh, by providentially gu- guiding it and and, uh, and uh, uh, working it this way and that way. And uh, that's the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in his uh, personhood of being the second person of the Trinity, the, the Christ. And, uh, and uh, in this, from this passage we see also that, that no word of God has come to his people, to the elect of God. No word from God has come to the people of God except that it came through the eternal word, the eternal Logos of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is so lovely. I mean, it it builds up our knowledge about Christ. It builds up our understanding of of how he did what he did and why he's so important to us. So that every word of the Bible is conveyed to us in and through and by uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the divine Son, who we came to know as the, the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And so his appearance in the, at the turn of time uh, when the old order disappeared, the new order, the, the years of our Lord began uh, in uh, 1 A.D., the year of our Lord. Uh, that, uh, that is so lovely because it, it shows us in time this, uh, this uh, activity and power Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of all the things that he brought to pass, you see here, he brought to pass uh, the word of Christ. And the word of Christ is mentioned here because it is the key to our sanctification. It's the key instrument through which we can take take off and put on. It's through the word of God that we find that some things are ugly and should not be a part of our lives. And other things are lovely and beautiful, and we must have those in our lives. When God exhorts us to be ye perfect, when he exhorts us to be ye holy, which are divine commands in the scriptures, how are we to know what these things are, except they be revealed in the scriptures? And so they are in the word of Christ. Uh, it's a powerful way of speaking when you quote the scriptures to say, rather than just say, Paul says, I mean, that's fine too, but it's, it's, a, it's powerful to say, Christ said, quote a psalm, quote, quote, quote Paul, quote one of the historical narratives in the Old Testament, but Christ said, somebody says something contrary to the scriptures, and you say, but Christ said. See, in the end, everything is a contest between Christ and Antichrist. We have every right to claim, to to predicate the things of the scriptures to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a special power in it. Uh, So uh, that's number two. Number three, the word of Christ and the Psalms. Now we see here that it says, uh, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we see a parallelism between these these um, these phrases, um, uh, the 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 the, the, the song these three phrases that speak to the psalms and these three phrases that speak of the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching. And admonishing one another or admonition of one to another. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So in terms of sanctification, the more we memorize scripture, the more we give scripture free reign in our lives, the better off we are. Now this is just the opposite of the way it is often in our lives. You know, you buy, your new, you buy a new dog, and the dog is... Barky is the dog. He's real cute as a puppy. But then as he begins to grow, he, he, can, he can become a real barker. He can be aggressive. And if you give the dog free reign, it can be a real problem in your life. The dog can end up ruling your life. You to teach the dog to take his business outside and not deposit, make deposits on the kitchen floor or worse, the living room. But the word of Christ, that, that's one, that's that's something we have to do carefully, but the word of Christ, Jesus says, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Give it free reign. And the more you memorize scripture, the more you sing the Psalms, the more you read the Bible through in a year, which some of you do every year, uh, the more these things are done, the more the word of Christ is going to dwell in you richly. Now the Psalms, um as we think about the, the Word of Christ and the Psalms, um, the Psalms have been called a mini Bible. In other words, everything of which the Bible speaks are found in the Psalms. And the Psalms are like the didactic theology book of the Old Testament. Now you might not think of that immediately because it's because they are cast as poetry and song, but they are very doctrinally, enlightening and there are some things that are said in the psalms even about some historical events the the psalms talk about the creation and some of the things that they say about the creation are not even said in genesis so that you can learn something about the creation because of god's revelation coming millennia after the fact because it's in the inspired psalms the psalms are and the psalms will uh the, the different psalms like psalm 139 is about the knowledge of God. It, it, it's a very good place to, to turn and study if you want to study what? It was the knowledge of God. What do we mean when we talk about God being all knowing, about omniscient? That's a great place to go. Psalm eight teaches about the doctrine of man. When I was writing lifestyle, I was writing on anthropology and culture. And I had to I couldn't do that without reading and studying Psalm 8, because it, it theologically summarizes, doctrinally summarizes some of the things that are taught in Genesis 1. It's a, uh, so the Psalms are wonderful, despite the fact that they're a songbook, and they, they write things poetically. They are a wonderful uh, book of doctrine also. And they summarize some of the historical events in the Old Testament, uh, much better, or they they bring out the didactic teaching of some of these events. When the Psalms mention the Midianites, or they mention Abraham, or they mention Jacob, they are giving you theological cause, teachings about these people. They're helping you to understand theologically how to understand the narratives of the Old Testament. And so, the Psalms are a wonderful a wonderful book to learn about the Word of Christ. <clears throat> they are a, they're like a mini Bible, and they're like a theology book, despite the fact that they are a songbook. Now the fourth point here is that they are a songbook. Uh, God, I, I got here the fourth point, God's songbook and synonyms. First of all, let's just cover the songbook part of this. Um, it, it came as quite a revelation to me some years ago. This is after I had joined the Reformed Presbyterian Church. I came across, across this passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. And it says, it, it just, uh, it's not talking about psalms, it's not talking about worship, but it says in verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. So this is when um, Judas was taken away from the 12 disciples. He killed himself. And it was time for them to choose another disciple, and so, they, 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 they God um, through the apostles, He directed them that they should choose another disciple and uh, to be one of the apostles, to be a new new apostle, and uh, they, He said that this came from this text uh, from the Psalms. But the, the thing that, the thing that just burst upon my brain was that the phrase there. Uh, for it is written in the book of Psalms. Now you may not see the, the power of that right now, and I, I honestly I don't see us using this ver- as much as we should in our apologetic for exclusive psalm singing. Why is this so powerful? Because in the Bible, the word Psalms or the 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 the, 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 the cipher Psalm is not a a technical word for for just one kind of uh, poem. Uh, we can see that in the in the in the Psalms themselves, because <clears throat> uh, the word one of the Old Testament words for Psalm, um, which is uh, mismore there are three Hebrew words that are used most often for the idea of a Old Testament song, and none of them are technical terms for these, these, these songs or these poems in the Book of Psalms. But Mismore is the one that's probably used the most, and that's used as a title in most of the Psalms. If you turn to your English Bibles, you'll, you'll see these words above the psalm, above verse 1, and it says it'll it'll, it'll say a psalm of david and the word there is mizmor and um, you though it's used as a title in psalm 3 4 5 6 8 9 11 12 13 14 15 18 19 20 21 22 23 24 25 26 27 28 29 30 31 32 not 33 34 35 36 37 38 it goes on like that. There are breaks, like it's not used on Psalm 1 and 2. Uh, it's not used after Psalm 145. But this, this term Mismore, from which we translate the word Psalm, uh, is found as titles in all those Psalms. But why do we know that it's not a technical, technical term for our Psalm? Well, because it's not used for all of them. You see, it's used for some of them, it's used for most of them, but it's not used for all of them. That means that the Bible considered some psalms, psalms, even if they did not have that in the title. So the word psalm is not a technical term for psalm, for these things that we call psalms. The word mizmor is a, is a word for song, And uh, there are these other two terms that are used in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible.
1: Uh, Yara, uh, uh,
0: halal, halal, and ode uh, are um, are words for songs too. Uh, some catch up the idea of more of of uh, raising your arms and giving praise to God. Some ode is more is, is gives the idea a little bit more of a of a poem or. Um, Uh, We get the word ode in English from the Hebrew ode. And uh, uh, halal is uh, the the, the praise psalms of the Old Testament. And so, but these three words are used interchangeably. They they may have slight nuances of difference, but they're used interchangeably. And that's why I've got in the the sermon outline there, I've got the word um, synonym when in, in, when you write in, in when you write english or when you write any language it spruces up your writing or it makes your writing interesting if you if you want to talk about some subject like so, the songs of david or the songs of the bible it makes it a little bit more interesting if you use different terms that are that are sl- slightly nuanced differently but are basically the same thing it's like um If you're trying to romance your uh, your 16, 17 years old, and you're trying to, or maybe 18 or 19, or maybe 20, (laughs) 20, you're trying to romance some woman, guys, and you 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 come to her and say, you know, honey, I really love you. I love you because I love you. Uh, You know, if you use that word over and over and over again, it gets pretty boring pretty quickly, even for the woman. But if you say Honey, I love you. You are so attractive. You're just, you just, uh, you know, send me over the moon. You know, whatever these different phrases are, it makes your speech very interesting. So, young, young man, I guess we've got Caden here and a couple of Ruffner boys. As a lesson for the future. Don't use the same word over and over again. You know, embellish your language a little bit. Now we see in this context that you know that that's what's going on here because there are three previous words like this or phrases that are used earlier in the verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all. What? Wisdom teaching and admonishing one another so there's a three a triad there of words or phrases and then in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so you see right here in the grammar that these things are not um, these things they're not all different things they're 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 uh, similar things that can be used for one idea and um, and so in the in the Psalter, These 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 different Hebrew words are used in the titles for the Psalms. They're used um, uh, to talk about these songs, so that when Hebrew when uh, uh, Acts one twenty, when it says, "For it is written in the book of Psalms," that would be just as accurately translated. It says, "For it it is written in the book of Songs." What does that mean? That means that God provided the Old Testament people with a song book. And then in in uh, Luke, in Luke twenty, verse forty two, it says, Now David himself said what? in the book of Psalms. This uses this phrase, book of Psalms again. So twice in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, but the New Testament, it speaks of the book of Psalms. In this case, for the for the word song, it uses the word song. But twice it uses, uh, it, it says that God has supplied the, both the, and the references here, one is a reference to the Old Testament people, one is a reference to the New Testament people the book of Acts, the book of Luke. And so it's saying that God has supplied a songbook for the Old Testament people, and he supplied a songbook for the New Testament people. The obvious question is for people of the Reformation, for people of Luther and Calvin, people I would have liked to have have pressed this upon Martin Luther, who who loved to write songs New songs. Uh, he also liked the Old Testament psalms, but he, he he liked to write New Testament hymns, what he called uh, hymns or spiritual songs that uh, would you know sing of Christ in the way he thought would, it, it should be. But I'd love to press upon him. I'd say Luther, you believe in sola scriptura. L- Luther was a man, a great man, of sola scriptura. The Scripture alone is the guide and the rule of our lives. Those of the Reformed faith, Calvin, Mar- uh, Calvin, Knox, Wingley. Uh, uh, we've been learning about some of these things, uh, some of these people. Booser in our his church history study after after worship here. All of these people believe that the, that the word of God was sufficient. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, sufficient for any good work. So, uh, you see, if you're a person, a soul of scriptura, and then you see here in Acts 1.20 and Luke 20.42, you see here that God says, I gave you a book of songs. The light should dawn upon you. Well... Why would we use any other? We don't. We don't use another Bible, do we? Why would we? Why would we consider it good or virtuous to use another songbook? It's it's good to see this that God has revealed this to us generically, not not in technical language of a of a, that we might say. Well, Psalms were for one time, or Psalms might be done appropriately there, but now we do spiritual songs and now we do hymns. No. The Psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs are three synonyms for singing. And God in the New Testament speaks of what we're supposed to be. He says, I gave you the book, I gave you a songbook. It's very clear. So it's a wonderful apologetic for limiting ourselves to singing out of the songbook that we find in the Bible, namely the Psalms, so called Psalms. Uh, of David and others that are found in the middle of our Bibles.. <clears throat> and, uh, and then once you see that, you see it's even more powerful because this is in a section on this is in a section on sanctification. So God is telling us all these things that we should put on, all of these things that should be our goals, all of these things that should be our zeal. Uh, He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this is a kind of crescendo of sanctification. But at the crescendo, what does God bring up? What does God feature? He features these holy songs that he gave his church in the Old Testament and, uh, and, of course, now in the New Testament, too. And so if we think of sanctification and we think of how we, gain, how we get sanctified, it's obvious that the, the, book of, uh, the book of Psalms, the book of songs that God gave us, has a role to play in our sanctification process. And I've known that one of the things that drew me to the Reformed Presbyterian Church worldwide, first to Scotland, now in America, but one of the things that drew me to the Reformed Presbyterian Church was I could see how it was more sanctifying to my soul. I could see the application of it to my life. How this worship being more simple and more led, more informed, more enlightened by these, this, this book of Songs. I can see how that was better for my sanctification. I have gotten more out of worship since I've been a Reformed Presbyterian than I did before. I I certainly got things out of worship before. But my worship has even been fuller since I've been a Reformed Presbyterian. And I see emphases, I see doctrines, I see themes emphasized in the book of Psalms that is almost entirely missing from the church today. I am your your God of battle. Where is that that theme sounded in evangelicals? We've redefined love in such a way that it prohibits battle. We've, we've, We've redefined the church of Christ so that it eviscerates the line of difference between the church and the world, between Christ and Antichrist. The Psalms constantly sing. Of these two groups of people, the people of the covenant and the unbelievers. Oh, well, that's, that's not, the st- people, the theologians today say that's emphasizing the wrong thing. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be so ironic and so affable with one another. Just don't mention, just don't highlight. You can believe it, but just don't highlight this vast gulf that exists between the church and the world. And the end result of that is that the church has become like the world. The church has become more enculturated by the world. Today we have to feel guilty if we stand in the pulpit and speak against sodomy, homosexuality, even the sin of marital breakup. Well, there's so many people in the church usually that are divorced. How can you speak against that? You'll hurt their feelings. These things are highlighted in the Psalms. And they're, a, uh, they're a, a guide to us. If we sing the psalms, our theology will remain more correct, more enlightened, more holy. And so as He commands us to be holy, to be perfect, to be sanctified, to, take, to put off this and to put on that, if we sing the psalms, as it's mentioned here, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as we sing these things, they are actual helps to us. They are instrumentalities that aid us in our growth and grace. And then then the final idea, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Some people will say, well, you can't sing the Psalms because it doesn't speak enough of Christ. Yet here in this passage, it calls it the word of Christ. What do you do with that? I mean, in terms of the apologetics of this process, what do you do with that? The God says it's the word of Christ. You say, well, it's not enough of the word of Christ for me. I have a problem with that. And the God says, whatever you do in the word, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that. He, this is a spinoff of the idea of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It shows us that if we... If we do sing the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it shows us that it will color us, it will um, marinate us so that our lives will take on the taste of Christ. And in that discovery or that process, we're to do all, to to do all that we do in 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 this manner, giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Christ let's close in prayer our Father and our God we thank thee for this passage of scripture so powerful in terms of our sanctification we thank thee that thou hast set out in thy word these places where you call the Psalter thy thy book of songs not not thy book of uh, not a possible book of songs not an auxiliary book of songs not a source for songs but the book of songs. And that's found in the New Testament, not the Old. Relating to both the Old and the New Testament. So we, we praise Thee, O Lord for this rich deposit that you have given us. We pray that we might delight more in them as we find ourselves in them. We find that we might not do them by road or it might not only be a routine. Oh God, we pray that you would dash routine worship in our lives, help our worship to be vital. Heartfelt and enthusiastic. For how could it be less than that? For thou art God, thou art the living God. Thou thou dost command vivaciousness in our worship the moment Thou dost reveal Thyself to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.